Thank you, ladies, for great scripture reading. I'm grateful to be here today. Thankful for the welcome that I've received so far. Um, Pastor David and I um, are like brothers. I, I love him so much. We're such really good friends. Uh, we've been friends for many years. And so um, it was uh, an easy decision to accept his invitation to come and, and, and speak for him today while he's away. And so, you know, I told him, hey, you know, Dave, this is your, your church, this is your congregation, what do you want me to talk about? He says, oh man, I trust you, talk about whatever you want to. So I said, well, maybe, maybe you can tell me a little bit about the congregation. I've never been there, I don't know the people there. What can you tell me about them? Oh, he said, I, I love my church. He really said this. I love my church. I love my people. They're wonderful. I enjoy being there every weekend. I was like, well, tell me a little bit more about them. Well, he said, well, they're, um, you know, they're, they're very open-minded, but they're kind of traditional at the same time. And he says they love to study the Bible, and, and they love to discuss philosophy and get into deep thinking. And They're very laid back, but they're very professional. They're very serious. <laughs> so... Um, at this point, this is going to be a hit-or-miss sermon. Um, I, I hope that, that God has something in this for us today. I tried to find a passage of Scripture that kind of shares uh, the Christian journey from two different perspectives and see, maybe, you know, you'll fit into one of the categories. So we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and... Um, if you want to, I invite you to follow along with me in your Bibles because we're just going to be sticking right there, going verse by verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And um, we'll start reading at verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right there in, in verse 2, I like verses like this because it helps me feel connected to what I'm about to study. You know, yes, Paul wrote this book to a very specific group of people in a very specific point in time to the church in Corinth. But he says, this is not just for you. This is also for you, but together for all those who are in every place calling in the name of the Lord. And I feel like, you know, we can fit into that. Even this many years later, we are here gathered together calling in the name of the Lord. So maybe this message can apply for us as well today. Verse, uh, the next few verses here, get us into the background a little bit more of Paul's readers, which is where I hope that maybe we'll begin to find a connection with the message for today so that maybe we can walk away taking a lesson from it, something that maybe God is, is sharing with us today. So the background of Paul's readers, um, we can start reading in verse 4. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, 
Just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By Him you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So again, um, you know, this is telling us a little bit about the church at Corinth and the people that Paul was writing to. But it tells us a little bit about ourselves because this text, I feel, is aimed at people like us. As you read there, as we read together, this text is not aimed at beginners. This is not for people who don't really know anything about God, who are not sure whether they care or not. You know, look at that word, uh, you know, the, the wording there. You have the testimony of Christ. It has been strengthened in you. You are not lacking in any spiritual gift. You will be, God will strengthen you to the end. These are people that are already on their spiritual journey. They've already begun searching the scriptures. They've begun to worship together. They've begun to uh, seek a relationship with God. And there in verse 9, uh, Paul reminds us, God has called you into the fellowship with his son. Fellowship, relationship, friendship. And so what follows in the, in the text that we're going to be reading, I feel are an encouragement for people who have already become acquainted with God and now they're looking for that next step. Friendship, relationship, fellowship. And I feel like that could be a, a, you know, a text that is aimed at us today. Let's keep reading here at verse 10. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or no, I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or maybe, I belong to women's ordination. Or no, I belong to the ordination for men only group. I belong to Cephas or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? You who are saying that you belong to Paul or to Apollos, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you. I thank God that I baptized none of you. Well, except... Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. All right, fine. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas, but beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anywhere else. So Paul's having a senior moment there. And he's trying to make a strong point. What's the division among us? Why do you feel like you're in this group and that group? I didn't baptize anybody. Well, okay, I baptized a couple people, but the point is, and here's his point. Verse 17, and this is kind of where uh, the message for today begins. That was kind of the background. Here's verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. So with this verse and the verses moving forward, I hope that we can find what God may be saying to us today, but I want us to begin with another prayer, if that's okay. Dear God, we're all here together because you have brought us here. 
Whatever you have done in our lives, it has piqued our interest and we're here and we want to find out more about you. Not only that, many of us have been in the religious walk, in the, in the spiritual walk for many years and we are looking for further growth and further rejuvenation in our spiritual walk. But God, we're all different. We're all different people. We all have different needs. We're at different stages of the journey. I pray, God, that not through eloquent wisdom or through fancy speech, but that through your spirit and through the simple message of today that you will help us to find something that you are trying to teach each one of us here today, that each one of us can walk away with our own personal message so that we will walk from here and continue in our spiritual journey feeling that we are growing closer in our desire for fellowship and relationship with you. We ask it in your name. Amen. So, once again, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize. I did not come to baptize. That's not the point. But Christ sent me to proclaim the gospel and not with eloquent wisdom so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. How is it possible that the cross of Christ might be emptied of its power? He says, I did not come with you with words of human wisdom because I don't want to make the cross of none effect. In the original language there, it's very strong wording. Empty, without result, in vain, deprived of power, to make of no meaning or effect, to render void. He says that he did not come using men's wisdom because it would completely make in vain, deprive of power the cross of Christ, meaning that the cross would not accomplish its purpose, the salvation of his listeners, of his hearers. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the message of what he has done. He sent me to preach the good news, and he didn't send me to do it with a lot of fancy rhetoric, not with clever speech. He commanded me not to use the kind of wisdom that people commonly use, that would take all the power away from the cross of Christ. Imagine that. Verse 18. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. There in verse 18, he's quoting a passage from Isaiah in 29. But he's saying, the message of the cross, I don't want to reduce it to nothing. I don't want to empty it of its power. That's why I didn't come to you with all kinds of fancy speech and human wisdom. In fact, the message of the, the, message of the cross actually seems like foolishness to most. What is the message of the cross? He doesn't even get into it here because, as I pointed out when we were looking at the background of the text, he expects that his listeners already know. They've already advanced in the spiritual journey. They know these things. In other places, like in the book of Romans or other places, Paul expounds a little bit more on what is the message of the cross. He discusses it at length. But he's assuming here that he is talking to people who already know this, and they are still looking for further growth in their spiritual journey. But he says the message of the cross that sounds like foolishness to other people, the message that says that a holy God in love became a perfect man to bear our blame. On the cross, he took our sin. By his death and resurrection, we live again. 
Simple message, the gospel. But he says it sounds like foolishness. This message that points to Christ on the cross, it seems foolish to those who are headed for destruction, who are lost and dying. But to us who are being saved, it makes perfect sense. That's what Paul says. It makes perfect sense to us, to those of us who are being saved. This is the way God works. The message of the cross shows us God's power. And he keeps going on in verse 19. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of those who are wise. I'll discard the conventional wisdom and the intelligence of the intelligent. I will do away with the cleverness of those who think they are so smart. As I said, he's quoting Isaiah. This makes it a little bit complicated. He's saying, the cross of Christ is the most important thing. I don't want it to lose its power. Therefore, I am not bringing it to you in words of human wisdom. In fact, it may appear as foolishness. The gospel, the cross of Christ that we just talked about, that we all know and believe, how could it be foolish? And at the same time, if God is saying that he in his, the message that he's sharing, he destroys the wisdom of those who are wise, discards conventional wisdom. Then what hope do we have of understanding this message? Verse 20, Paul asks the same question. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since... In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. So again, where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? Hasn't God exposed it all as pretentious nonsense? Has God made the wisdom of this world to look, fool to look foolish? The accusation is, that the message of the cross is foolishness, but God is saying, your brightest wisdom, the most that you can ever accomplish in your mind through thinking it through, through your, through your limited perspective, that is the foolishness. And Paul says, I applaud God for that. This is what God intended. Verse 29, verse 21, sorry. God wisely planned that the world would never know him through human wisdom. That's what he's saying there in verse 21. That the world in all its fancy wisdom and understanding never had a clue about God and what God was doing. God in his wisdom took delight in using what the world considered dumb and foolish to preach to those who believe. For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. What I hear Paul saying is, God never intended for his message of salvation, for the spiritual wisdom of God to be understood through science, through research, through debate, through mental understanding, through argument. He never intended that. Verse 22. For Jews, they demand signs, and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. So the Jews, he says, they want proof. 
They want signs and wonders. They want to be able to experience God and the message of God with their senses. The Greeks, they want logic. They want it all to make sense. They want to have it all figured out. But verse 23, when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended. It is very hard for the Jews to accept this. And the Greeks, they pass it off as absurd. They say it's all nonsense. They say it's foolishness. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. How could it be true that if Jesus was killed in such a disgraceful manner, hung from a tree, cursed by God, how could it be true that he is the Messiah to save our people? There's no way. There's no proof. The Messiah would have made his proof to us. He would have shown us signs and wonders. He would have come and broken away our our captivity to the Roman Empire. He would have never let anybody kill himself. He would have provided everything that we needed as a nation. This is a stumbling block to say that the message of the cross is the power of God and the message that God has for his people. No way. This is ridiculous. And on the other hand, the Greeks are saying, this is foolishness. How can you say that this is a a God who's victorious in the end? He got killed. You failed. You couldn't even convince your own people that you were right by your message. No one's ever heard of such a thing. This is foolishness. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Once again, what Paul is saying to those of us who are already on the spiritual journey, we've already accepted the notion of Christ as our Savior. We've already accepted the message of the cross. We understand what it means. He doesn't even go into it here in chapter 1. You already know this. You are being drawn into further fellowship, relationship, a close connectedness with Christ. For you, the message of the cross is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And you believe, Paul says to his listeners and maybe to us today, that we are able to believe that God's foolishness, what appears to be foolishness, is actually wiser than human wisdom, than the best of our understanding. And that God's weakness in Jesus allowing himself to be killed, that that weakness is stronger than human strength. And but to us who are personally called by God, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. God's ultimate miracle and wisdom all wrapped up in one, in Jesus. So if you're looking for a sign, if you're looking for power, if you're looking for proof, Paul says, Jesus. And on the other hand, if you're looking for wisdom and understanding and clarity, Paul says, Jesus. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Human wisdom is so tiny, so impotent. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. And this is where the two groups of people come in. Or maybe we find ourselves on one camp or the other. People who are progressing in their spiritual journey, as Paul says, God has called you 
Jews and Greeks. You're progressing in the spiritual journey, but you have two kinds of perspectives. The Jews, obviously he's speaking of a very specific group of people in his time. We all know the stories. And yet I believe that he's using this language here also as symbolic of those who are religious people, but who rely upon signs and wonders in order to support their faith in Jesus Christ. So again, these are not beginners, as we've already stated in, in, uh, in the first few verses. These are people who already come together, they gather together in a congregation to worship, to seek God, to understand the message of the cross better. But he says, some of you are like the Jews who are seeking for signs and wonders. You need some proof. You want something big to happen before you move forward in your relationship with God. And he's not just condemning them. He's not saying you shouldn't do that. The Jews represent those who have a certain distance in their relationship with God. They're on the threshold of friendship with God. And all they need to do is really just accept it and activate it, but they're waiting for a sign or a miracle. And I feel like Paul echoes Jesus in the lament that Jesus said over and over in the Gospels. I'm sure you remember it. So many times in the stories that we have of Jesus, he's always applauding faith wherever he sees it. He rejoices in faith, but he laments so often and regrets. He even regrets some of his miracles from time to time. All you want is signs and wonders, he says to them. All you want is proof. All you want is another miracle. And I feel like Jesus and Paul is saying that one of the things that we need in the spiritual journey is to let go of our desire for signs and wonders in order to move into this deeper friendship with God. We need to let go of our desire for human props of evidence, for our senses, for our experience, to prove something to us and to deepen our faith. In other words, our faith here in 1 Corinthians is invited to a maturity that transcends human support systems because now our trust is in God and it has reached the point where we no longer need this kind of proof. That's on the one hand. Then on the other hand, we have those seeking for wisdom. Maybe you don't necessarily need to see an angel or see proof or have a pot of gold drop down from heaven to prove that, you, that, that God is real in your life. But maybe you're seeking that spiritual progress from a different point of view, looking for wisdom as the Greeks were. The Greeks in this point in time when Paul is writing Classically, we're debaters, philosophers, just standing around in the marketplace, just arguing, debating, trying to look for the latest wisdom. Who has the newest philosophy? Who has the best new way of understanding the world? And the Greeks of that time, and I feel like this group is symbolizing a, a, a perspective that still um, is here to this day. It symbolizes those who are looking for serendipity for states of consciousness that can liberate them from the wear and tear of daily life. This wisdom that seems to seek to enjoy the experience of freedom from the ordinary human condition, to be in a state of perfect virtue and peace, to be in this mental nirvana, to understand things and to see a larger, deeper perspective where nothing or nobody bothers you, where disaster doesn't touch you, where you're above it all, where you kind of float over everything because you're so wise and smart and you have this, this bigger, deeper perspective on things. And we think, well, that's, 
That's the blessing of the spiritual journey, and that's what I'm looking for. That's what I want from God. And, and I don't think that Paul here, is, when he uses the word wisdom, I don't think he's using the, the word here to, be, to talk about you know, stages of enlightenment that are genuine, you know, wisdom that is true wisdom from God. Obviously, he makes a distinction there between the, the wisdom of, of humans, which is foolishness, and the wisdom of God, which appears foolishness, but is wiser than human wisdom. So there is a wisdom that, that Paul encourages. But the wisdom that he's discouraging here is that thing in human nature that, that wants to get away from it all, that wants to be able to understand things and not be caught up in the different um, difficulties of life, the desire to be free of the ordinary routines, especially the ups and downs of emotional turmoil. It would be so nice not to be affected when you're insulted. It would be so nice not to be hurt when you lose a dear friend because I know better than that. I'm so smart. I'm so connected. A kind of, of wisdom or a mental state where people think that there's a freedom from trials and difficulties and routine and boredom and, and that you somehow become free of the same old faults and the same old routines and disappointments and frustrations. Paul Hearkening back to Jesus, as Jesus teaches us in the Gospels, says that this kind of wisdom is not the case. This doesn't exist. Jesus makes it very clear in the parables and elsewhere that there is no, no, there is no such place, no such mindset. In fact, the way of the cross leads directly through daily life and its ups and downs. And the dishes that you have to wash and the trash that you have to take out and the babies whose diapers you have to change and the dreadful relatives you live with or you have to meet them on Christmas or the horrible employers that you have or the people that take your money and invest it and lose it and nobody has it anymore. This is the daily life. This is the way it is. And it is precisely the way things are that Jesus led the way in embracing. He became a human being in the human connection and in the human condition, just as it is. And he went through the trouble of taking upon himself, even though he was not subjected to sin, he was... He took upon himself sin and he took the whole drama of the human condition with the temptations and everything to emphasize that the wisdom of God, the spiritual truth, the message of God, the power of the cross is not something that kind of takes you away from this life as, as the Greeks were looking for, some philosophy that, 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 that makes you so amazingly intellectual and so above and beyond all these these poor people that don't see things the way that I do. Jesus said, and on one hand, I'm sorry that all these people want from me is miracles and power and signs and wonders. And on the other hand, when he uh, experiences the temptations in the wilderness, when he experiences the, the, the point where he doesn't have a place to lay his head, where Jesus is essentially homeless, where he's persecuted, where he's mistreated, where he has no money, and he tells the disciples, do you think the disciple is above his master? If I'm treated this way, you think you're going to be living in houses and have all this money and everything's going to be great for you? You will have tribulation, Jesus says. You will have tribulation in this world. It's not going to be easy. It's not some mental state of nirvana. But I will be with you through the tribulation. And so, Jesus' invitation, and Paul, here in 1 Corinthians the invitation is for you to finally move on, to take the next step in your spiritual journey. It's a moment of challenge, and it's a choice. It's an invitation to the Corinthians, and maybe it's an invitation to us today as well, to move beyond 
a casual acquaintance, or just a certain friendliness with God. And to take the practice of Christian religion to the next level, which is the way of the cross, which lets go of signs and wonders, because our growth, the growth of our faith no longer needs them. And it is also, it does, it's not a matter of, let me just stop here and just say, it's not a matter of denying miracles and denying the power of signs and wonders. I feel like, you know, Jesus uses them. God still answers our prayers to this day. I'm not saying we should stop praying and stop asking God to answer our prayers and, and give us a sign. I mean, I would love for, for God to, to speak to me or give me a dream or, or, or prove something to me. But I, the, the point is, we make that our, our boundary. We say, I cannot progress in my spiritual journey with God unless I have this. Until then, okay, God is nice. God is, you know, God is good. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do things that I have to do in my life. But we kind of resist that call to a deeper connection where we give up everything and we give our lives wholeheartedly to God because we're saying, well, if an angel came, then I'll definitely change my life around. Or if this miracle happens, then that'll definitely, I mean, I'll never be the same. And Paul is saying, why are you waiting for signs and wonders? The cross of Christ is the sign and wonder that you need. Same thing with the wisdom. On the, on the, on the other hand, we think, well, you know, the Bible message makes sense, and I, I understand the stories, and, and I believe in God, but I don't totally get everything. It, it doesn't make absolute sense to me. Maybe one of these days in a sermon or a Sabbath school class or through a Bible study, it'll just kind of click, and then I'll really be connected with God, and then I'll really understand. You know, when God helps me to figure out my problems at work, and when God helps me figure out my problems with my spouse, and when everything clicks in my head and I understand the plan of salvation, all that kind of stuff, then I'll really be dedicated to my relationship with God. God is saying you'll never understand it by your human wisdom. You're limited. If you're looking for wisdom, if you're looking to understand the things of God, Jesus on the cross. So if we're seeking power, signs and wonders, or if we're seeking wisdom and freedom from our weaknesses and the trials of daily life, Paul says, I preach Christ crucified, which is neither one of those. It's not what you're looking for. It's not physical proof. And it's not human wisdom and understanding. What it is, is the acceptance of ordinary life and the acceptance of what happens and the acceptance of who we are, just as we are in all our weakness and all our feebleness and all our powerlessness to change and all of our doubt and all of our inability to understand everything. And the greatest progress in the spiritual journey will then begin when our faith in God no longer needs any of these added human elements that we think we need to be able to have that closer relationship with God. This desire for enlightenment, this desire for peace, nirvana, spiritual experience, for something to exalt us over the routines and the mess of our lives, something that, you know, something will click in my head, a miracle will happen, and all of a sudden I'll, I won't have any more problems with sin, and I won't have any more doubts, and everything will make sense, and I'll just be this, this trooper, and I'll just be so excited about my relationship with God. On the contrary, Jesus shows it through his life, and Paul is arguing here in this first chapter of the Corinthians. On the contrary, it's that very mess, the very mess that we're in, where the divine presence is closest to us. In other words, what you most despise in yourself is probably the shortest cut to divine union once you accept that it's Christ who takes away our faults, not us. 
And the main purpose of all of our effort and all of our trying and all of our seeking for understanding is to prove to us that it doesn't work. That there's nothing that we can do for ourselves. We're not going to be able to figure it out with our human limitations, either through our own experience or through our own understanding. And God designed it that way, Paul says. As soon as you find, as soon as you find out that you can't do it, that you can't understand it, that it's not going to make sense in your human finite mind, then maybe you can begin to sit still and wait for God's deliverance in the midst of daily life, in the midst of the same old difficulties. That is where the way, to, the way of the cross leads. And this is where the message of the cross points us to Christ, who is both the sign and wonder and the power and the wisdom of God all in one. Everything that we're looking for, Paul says, you have to go back and find it in Christ. And not only that, but Christ, God, everything that you need, I think Paul is saying to us today and to his readers, everything that you need is right here and right now. Because we talk about the journey, we talk about growth, and in our minds, in human wisdom, we think length of time, we think chronology, we think ladders, we think steps, we think you know, some kind of path that we have to follow, and all of that works, but that's where we get caught up in our spiritual journey because maybe there was a sign or a wonder. Maybe there was an answer to prayer. Maybe there was a miracle in your life that brought you to acquaintance of God and made you desire to get to know God better. Or maybe something just made sense in your head and you read a Bible verse or somebody said something to you or you just started thinking about your own life and you thought, man, you know, there's no way that I was created in some big bang. Like, there is a creator. I don't understand it all, but it starts to make sense and I want to find out more about this God. Whatever path brought you to Christ... That's good. But then we cannot continue to look at our spiritual life from those two perspectives. Okay, so now the next step, in other words, my connection, that I, my ideal connection that I want with God is over there, but it's got to come through a miracle. It's got to come through a sign, through a wonder. God's got to prove something for me. If my life is still messed up, if I don't have enough money, if I have all these issues, then I'm not sure where I stand with God. Or on the other hand, Okay, my ideal situation with God is over there somewhere and it's going to come through further study and debate and understanding and memorizing and reading and through human wisdom. And Paul is saying, it's not over there. It's not over there because your human elements of understanding will never get you there. What you need has already happened and is already here. Jesus crucified on the cross. And it sounds like foolishness. It sounds like a stumbling block. You don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. And I can't explain it to you with fancy wording, he says. Otherwise, I would completely dismiss what God is doing in your life. Stop looking for signs and wonders. Stop looking for proof. Stop looking for wisdom and understanding and, and to have it all make sense. What I think Paul is saying here is that if you're looking for God, if you're looking for that fellowship, that relationship, if you want to advance and progress in your spiritual journey, God is right here. You just have to sit still. It's Jesus himself who said, these people, all they want is signs and wonders. It's a lament. It's a lack of faith. You've got God. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to look for it. You don't have to experience it in some other way. Everything that you need is in Christ. And it's that dependence on human support systems that God is inviting us to graduate from on the basis of a friendship with him, on the basis of trusting him that what we need, he already has. It's difficult. It's a stumbling block. 
it can seem like foolishness. What do you mean? What are you talking about, Paul or Otis? And I actually ask myself that too. I'm not sure what I'm talking about. But I feel like the point is that if we want to grow in our spiritual journey, we're going to have to give up our desire to have it our way. God has to show himself or prove himself to me in my way. Whether it's through helping me understand it, make, figure it all out, I'm going to understand everything, or whether it's, okay, God, you're going to have to answer this prayer, you're going to have to solve this situation. God is saying, Paul is saying, everything that you need for life, even if you don't see it, even if it seems foolish, even if it feels like a stumbling block, everything you need was already given by Jesus on the cross. So what does that look like? Well, that's why we're here together. That's why he writes a letter to the Corinthians. That's why we continue to worship together and study and pray. But looking at it from a different perspective, going back to the Gospels, going back to the life of Jesus and saying, if I want to understand the power of God, if I want to, if I want to have proof about what God can do in my life, I'm going to look at Jesus' life. If I want to understand the wisdom of God, if I want to clarify what I should be doing with my life and how should I be looking at the world, go back to Jesus. He explains it. If you want to understand God and have a relationship with God, we have to go back to Jesus because that is where the power and the wisdom of God come together in one. And Paul is saying, you don't need anything else. You don't need your human understanding, your human faculties. You already have it. It's right here. It's right now. It already happened. It's all yours. One way that I feel like I can illustrate it is that as we sit today in this room right now, there's all kinds of subatomic, sub, subatomic particles, energy, energy waves, radio waves, cell phone waves, TV, wave, TV waves. There's all kinds of stuff happening right now in the room. But unless you have the right apparatus, the right equipment, you can't see it, you can't experience it, you don't know that it's there. But science has taught us, and we've come to the understanding these days, that we believe that already. We believe that there's a cell phone wave. We believe that there's an invisible microwave or a radio wave or a wireless signal happening right now. We believe in the invisible. We know it's all around us. And then we pull out our phones or we pull out the gadget that helps us prove that the invisible is there, then we understand it. I think the point that Paul is saying is that God the omnipotent, ever-present, invisible God in all His power and all His wisdom is with you right here, right now, in the middle of your life, even if you don't feel it, even if you don't understand it, even if, if you don't see the power of God, even if you don't understand it, it doesn't make sense in your life, God is right here. God is right there in your life. You just were not built with the human apparatus to, to sense it, to figure it out, to see it. And so, the fact that we don't feel Him the fact that we may not understand him. It doesn't mean that God is not there, that we're not where we need to be in our spiritual journey. It can be the, the actually the opposite thing. It can, if we take Paul's perspective here and we take his invitation, this can bring us to a closeness and into, to an intensity and to a delightfulness to embrace the fact that God in his intelligence and his mercy has given us everything that we need through the cross of Christ. And what we lack is the ability to understand that and to see that, and that God himself gives us that wisdom because he nullifies the wisdom of the world. The name that God gave to Moses, he said, I am. 
Tell them that I am sent you. I am being without limit at all, filling all creation. That amnes of God is revealed by Jesus to be unconditional love itself. So you can't earn it because you have it. All of the theological instruction, everything that the Bible is trying to tell us, everything that, that the Christian church should and ought to be teaching people, even if we don't do it effectively, is that what you need, you already have. You already possess everything that you need through Christ, through the wisdom and power of Christ in your life, without limit, without restraint in your life. The invitation is to accept it without waiting for a sign or wonder to prove it to you or without waiting for your mind to completely grasp it and understand it. The Christian life is not just a compilation of miracles and things that always go well and everything goes your way. And neither is the Christian life just an abstract subject to be debated by experts seeking human wisdom. It is an invitation. Instead of looking for signs and wonders and wisdom, what Paul says, said in another way, is to put Jesus to the test, is what Paul is saying. Run an experiment in your life. You started out looking for proof and signs and wonders, and you, you started out looking for understanding and things to make sense of it all, and it only got you so far. But now, try learning how to live from Jesus. Go back to the stories. Come and see. Whatever your idea is about religion or spirituality, you can try being a student of Jesus. You can try learning from him. You have to go back to the stories. Are you looking for a sign? You're looking for power? You're looking for a miracle? Find it in Jesus. If you're looking for wisdom, the wisdom of God, you want to know God better, find that through Jesus. Read the Gospels. Begin to find everything that you need or want for your spiritual journey in Jesus and what he already did and in him crucified and realizing that that in and of itself, as we begin to explore that and prayerfully look at that, will prove to us, according to Paul, if we believe what he's saying here in the scripture, it will prove to us the power and the wisdom of God all in one person, Jesus Christ. So in conclusion, I feel like today, whoever we are, wherever we come from, wherever we're going, take this and think about it. The greatest progress in our spiritual journey will begin when our faith in God no longer needs any added human elements. Thank you, Pastor Otis. We know that God is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. 